Welcome to the One Up Sales Development Podcast, a podcast for newly emerging revenue leaders, whether you're in sales, marketing, or customer success. We're here for one thing and one thing only to drive revenue. This one goes out to all the hustlers out there on the phones each and every day, slugging it out. Whether you're adding net new logos, expanding revenue from your soul base, or renewing existing accounts, it's all about working as one cohesive team towards one cohesive goal. Cross functional sales team. So if you're new and you want to be a top funnel sales dev strategist, then you better put in the work and act like one. Digital marketing, act like one. Customer success, act like one. To be the bro, act the role. I'm your host, Jackson Lil, a top funnel revenue growth leader and an everyday frontline practitioner. This podcast is brought to you by the SDU community. Sales dev, you know. SDRs, you know. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. All right. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the One Up Sales Development Podcast. For my next guest, for our next guest is someone that's going to be a little bit different today. This person is a sales executive, sales professional, sales individual who's been in the game for 20 plus years, 20 plus years, deep dive, still here today, still grinding out, still walking out. This individual has seen it all from the beginning of the sales day, where it's just manual tasks, notebook, handwriting, cold calling, smiling, dialing, all the way to the progression to technology today. Please give us a warm welcome for D1 and only Mr. Arthur Jones, CEO and founder of also of the Art of Standing Out. Welcome to the One of Sales Development Podcast. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me, Jackson Lewis. Author, just before we get started, I want to say thank you again so much for hopping on. When I first met you, and just a shout out to Chris Orlando for my mentor, by the way. Thanks, Chris, for hosting that uh, crowdcast. Um, I, I, I premeditated. I, I had to get you on. The way you, just the way you present yourself, you know, the way you look, the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you dress, the way you think. And you're delivering your beliefs, especially on the last week's crowdcast, which we'll dive into a few moments later too as well. I knew you you have so much value. And in addition, huge believer in the power of storytelling. As a matter of fact, I actually got a book about storytelling too as well. Um, welcome to the One of Sales Development Podcast. And I'm just so happy for you to be here. <laughs> Hey, listen, thanks for having me. And, and after that introduction, I'm not sure I can live up to all the, uh, the, the platitudes you just laid on me. Oh, my goodness. Well, Art, welcome to the show. We appreciate you bringing it on. Um, why don't you go ahead and feel free to take away. For those who doesn't know, uh, please just give us a brief introduction of uh, who, who you are, what do you currently do, and, you know, just lay okay. it out there. Well, cool. I... I've, uh, I was in the green room before the show went live. I was telling Jackson that um, if we went any further back to in my sales career, we'd be talking about when the pyramids were being built. That's how long I've been in the game. But it's interesting. Um, I guess Xerox is really where I began and, and that's going way back. And, and I learned a lot because back in the day, it was the best training ground for salespeople. And it's funny how, you know, I think the first course that I took that really had an impact on me was effective listening. Um, but what's interesting about that is when I was learning effective listening, products may have cost $5,000. Um, 
by the time I was done at Xerox, I was selling million dollar software tools because I never sold copiers, always on the technology side of the, the Xerox dial. And that evolution from what I thought listening was when I was selling a $5,000 product was, I just listened a lot better, I thought. By the time I left Xerox and went to a spinoff of Xerox, um, I was really not just listening, but I was doing tons of research to know exactly what questions to ask. So when I asked that question, I was filling in the gaps for the research that I already done. I was validating what research I'd done explicitly was correct. And if it wasn't, I'd align. So the tapestry I was painting of the account that I was trying to encourage to use our products was more complete. And the more complete picture you have of a customer through the research you do to ask the precise questions you need to ask to fill in the gaps, um, positions you to really pre present value, um, real value to the customers that you're in service to. And that's the trajectory of my my long career at Xerox went from a junior salesperson getting introduced to the tools, effective listening. Um, but as the products got more expensive and more conceptual, you sell a million dollars worth of software, it's not like you're selling this cup. Customer can see it, they can see the pretty graphics on it. They say, oh, yeah, I like that cup. When you're selling a million dollars worth of software, it's $500,000 worth of software they can't see or touch. And then they buy $500,000 worth of implementation that might take nine to 18 months. It's an intangible. The game is entirely different. And, you know, a lot of SaaS products is what we're selling today is the same kind of challenge. And, and I think those challenges mean that we have to be, we can't just be running and gunning. Um, we really have to be uh, in service um, to even get their attention anymore um, because uh, the consumer today is more empowered than ever before. I've got, if I say, hello, Google, my devices light up around me. Ready to <laughs> out this SaaS product that does that. And it will produce something on the screen in front of me. My devices light up. Google over there on the corner table will start reading me a list. Why do we need salespeople anymore? The only reason I need a salesperson is because they know more than I do. They, more, they know more and can articulate it better than any of my Android devices in this room that respond to me like they're enchanted when I ask a question. Salespeople have to be better than all that. And not just better and smarter, but in how you engage with me and deliver information to me. Um, takes a lot of work to get prepared to, to beat all this wonderful technology we have, but the successful salespeople that learn how to do that really succeed quite nicely. My God, Arthur, that was amazing. Effective listening and to beat technology. Technology <laughs> is great, but how can you differentiate yourself? I, I want to take a few stab at that real quick. So, Arthur, um, before we get into that, uh, the beat technology side. Sure. Effective listening. Please tell us about that, um, of what you learned over at Xerox. Um, you know, if you can't just... There, there was a guy in Greece, Diogenes, um, who was a guy that used to go around with a lantern and he would hold it up to the men in the city of Greece and, and say, is there an honest man here? He also lived in a barrel for a little while. <laughs> kind of a crazy guy, but he's a philosopher that we pay attention to because he, he said we have two eyes, two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? 
talk less, listen, and see more. And, and I think that really is, you know, in, in the enterprise or the business world today, we, we hear a lot about empathy, maybe a lot of that empathy conversations inspired because of the pandemic. We care more about each other. But when you drill down and, and you get more senior level in the boardroom, they call it EQ or emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is self-awareness, listening to yourself, knowing your strengths and weaknesses. Um, social awareness, being able to, to look at the person across the table that you're, you're talking to and genuinely hear them and see them and sense how they're feeling about what you're communicating in that moment and knowing whether you need to stop or, or advance. And, and the listening that I learned early in the day was useful because it started the conversation about what it means. Um, here, here's a great example. Um, learning things was a great experience at Xerox, where it was always some kind of training to help us accomplish more. Um, I learned this really, you know, when you're in a classroom and somebody says, try this, and you go, wow, that's amazing, because it works on us, right? We, you role play with your buddy, and they, they do it to you, and you're like, gosh, that's amazing. I'm gonna, I can't wait to use that in the field. <laughs> and um, I went into the field. I had a huge call, a big company. Um, a woman that I was calling on was the VP level. So, you know, I was a little nervous. I'm still sort of a junior salesperson, but I've got these new tools I'm going to use. Um, I take the elevator up to her office. I'm ushered into her office and I'm sitting there. And I, I think I spent a few minutes doing the usual, you know, nice photo. It's what a lovely office, great family and you know, picture in the credenza, trying to establish the KLT, the no like and trust element. And, and I'm even smart about pacing at this point. I'm pacing is when, when she sits with her hands on the desk, I put my hands on the desk, trying to establish rapport, that's pacing. Mm. But this new tool I had was this questioning technique that I was really excited about. So I, I started in and I said something like, well, tell me how that makes you feel. And she rocked back in her chair because I think her spidey senses have gone up. I wasn't the, this was not her first salesperson she'd ever engaged. She knew what the, the sales process was supposed to be like. At her level, only the most sophisticated salespeople got to sit across the table from her. And they didn't play games. And here I had a new tool, and she knew that this was new for me because she knew that I shouldn't have been using it in that moment. And she pretty much just picked me up and slammed me and kicked me out of her office. Not, not physically, not as, not as aggressively as I just described. That's how it felt because she shut me down. The meeting didn't end abruptly, but it ended and I, I left. And oh, as I wow. left, I realized, that, I realized that that was a moment where I had done all my research, but I was so infatuated with this tool, this questioning technique, that I used it in an inappropriate moment with, with someone that I shouldn't have ever used it. She perhaps was more sophisticated in the art of the deal in sales than I was because I was moving up the food chain with product getting more sophisticated, more expensive. This is what she does. And so that's the emotional intelligence it tells us that when you're thinking about who you're calling on, it's not about the product or the sexy tool that you've got to help you sell that is going to help you advance the call. 
it's the emotional intelligence and your self-awareness and your social awareness and your ability to read and assess the person that you're talking to to make the right kinds of approaches. Because if I prepared a bunch of questions that I, but I didn't do the research to understand the person, there's the profile of the person, woman, VP, 50 something, um, been on the trajectory, might end up in the boardroom one day. The persona is, she likes the arts, she likes sports, um, she's married with children and likes dogs. I mean, you could pretty much, with all the tools we have today, you could pretty much make those kind of judgment calls. But even when you do that, and we think we know what we know, when you sit across from somebody and you're getting signals, that's what emotional intelligence is, the more we nurture that, the more we can interact with people the way they want to be interacted with, not the way we want to interact with them. Effective listening is the are the training wheels for for the bike that you ride when you're you, you, when we get better at it and we use emotional intelligence to listen because emotional intelligence isn't all about listening with your ears it's watching with your eyes and sensing with your intuition and in your gut as well got to use all those signals to get it done right my god author that was incredible emotional intelligence <laughs> so emotional intelligence is it, are you only able to use it in person to person visual or like how we are right now on a Zoom through video? Um, yeah, I think, I think we are. It's, it's not as easy as it is when you're in the same room. I mean, you know, we, the human condition is that we're, we're meant to be, um, community matters, it's always matters. It's primal, primordial. This device that we're using is very modern. I can see you. Um, I can't see what your hands are doing, right? I, I, I can oh, see yeah. the room. I can't see, <laughs> I can see the room, but I can't see the, 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 the other walls in the room, right? I can't see if the, that, that's attached to, and there's a yard outside. I can't see beyond the two plants that there's so much, the signals I'm getting some, but like my room is curated. You can't tell the picture behind here. Yeah. And that picture says something, right? But it's, and if you were in here, you could, you could get up and close and interact with it and learn more about how those, those signals um, talk about what's important to me. And there's a book I've got here that if I can find it without looking too far. No problem. Take your time. Wow. Arthur, this, this also, um, bring something up to my mind. You know, they say how you do anything is how you do everything. And that being said, if you were to look out and someone that you're meeting with, uh, they have the, the desk is dirty, they have papers everywhere, books all scattered. Would that give you off a different vibe and a sense of the type of person they are compared to someone who's tidy, pictures up, awards up? I, I don't I don't think so. I mean, you know, Malcolm Gladwell is an author um, that wrote a series of books, and there's a book that he wrote called Blink. Blink is the the bias we all have. That if I'm all buttoned up and and I you know, I, I my drawers have my socks here and my t-shirts there, and that's how orderly I am, right? I'm I'm just saying, if that were me, that's not me, but if that were me. 
and I yeah. see somebody who's disheveled, I, I blink and Gladwell's book says, we all have that bias that how we are and how we, without really processing it, we just blink and in this twinkling of an eye, we make a decision about someone we see because that's what we see and it has an impact on us and we believe that we can make a judgment about them because of that blink moment. He wrote a whole thesis on this in that book and he suggested that's just how we're wired. And, and it, it's kind of like if, if we were in the savannah, right? And, and I'm walking towards, I'm walking, I'm hunting and I'm walking, I'm looking for a deer and all of a sudden you pop out of the bush in a twinkling of the eye, I have to determine, are you friend or foe? Are you from my tribe or a different tribe? Mm. And if you're a different tribe, are you a warring tribe or a friendly tribe? That has to happen very quickly. If it doesn't, I just might not make it, right? That's the way we're wired. And, and I think we have to temper that. And that's where EQ makes a difference because if we nurture our emotional intelligence, then we can combat our instinct, the blink, to, 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 to fight or flight. That's fight just how we're wired. And somebody that's, you know, there, there are plenty of uh, YouTube videos and books that are written about the guy that walks into the Mercedes or the Ferrari dealership. And, and, and this happens a lot in LA, as a matter of fact. You guys in cutoffs, He's got flip-flops on. He's got sand in his hair because he just came from surfing. <laughs> he says, I'd like to see that 600 uh, AMG. And the salesperson that's not smart will look at him and like, mm, no, dude, you, no, I've got to go to lunch. I'm sorry. We don't know that that guy's got $600 million in the bank. In LA, you just don't know who walks into your store. So making those kind of value judgments, um, disheveled, neat, I think that that's short-sighted. I think that it's the work we do on ourselves prepares us to interpret the signals that we see, to ask the questions that need to be asked to, to determine what we're seeing. Is it is it indicative of how that person is? Or is it just that they're busy as hell because they're doing a $50 billion deal and the papers, the process that they've got to go through to get that deal done? Yeah, totally makes it's, sense. I, th I think, you know, I, brand storytelling is a big part of what I do. And, and I believe, you know, we're on this effective listening um, part of the conversation and everybody talks about storytelling. You know, there's Twitter's getting re ready to release stories now, right? Everybody's got stories on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on oh. TikTok. Everybody's got a story to tell. And so we think we know the importance of storytelling. And in the time that I've spent um, experimenting with story and researching story, I really discovered that for me anyway, it's the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. 80% 80 of story happens when in listening to the stories of other people. But it's easiest to listen to the stories of others after you've listened to your own story and discovered your own narrative. Because if you do that, you get two things. One, you get experience on how to deconstruct the narrative, your own. Hmm. And when you deconstruct your own narrative, you know whose shoulders you stand on, how you got here, right? 
And so you feel more empowered. I mean, I've got stories about my grandmother, my college roommate, my, all the people that are lessons that I've learned. When I fell down and didn't make the team, right? It's like, lesson learned, try harder, be more diligent, right? When they asked you to run the three mile and do it under this time, spend the summer practicing on that. So when that time comes, make the commitment, accept the responsibility. So story listening, here's an analogy. I'm in Tucson, Arizona, and um, University of Arizona is a big deal here. We're still a small town. We've got 500,000 people in Tucson. There's uh, Raytheon, big industry, um, the university, the other big industry, and then there's healthcare to support all the blue hairs that come down from the Midwest this time of year. Because it's <laughs> cold, so they're here during this, the winter. And so healthcare takes care of them. One day, because I've been here about five years, one day I was curious about what was going on at U of A. I wanted to check the campus out. And I came across this Department of Dentrochronology. I'm like, what the hell is, what? And I looked a little further, said tree rings. Hmm, that's interesting. I kind of knew a little bit about tree rings. I knew what they were. It was a docent tour, so I took a tour. And you walk into the building that houses this department. And in that building, in the entryway is a slab, a cross section, cross section of a redwood. It's gotta be 14 by 14 feet. And it's, it's, it's laid horizontally so you can face this cross section. And you're standing in front of it, you're dwarfed by it. And as you, you get up where the red VIP ropes are so you don't get close to it, but you can see the rings and you notice there's flags in the rings. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. What do those flags say? And then there's a, uh, a docent chart that tells you that flag means this. Well, that flag is when the Magna Carta was signed. That flag is when the Revolutionary War happened. This flag is the Civil War. This is when JFK and so forth and so on. The rings in the trees, the, part, the other part of it, up on the fourth floor, there's this uh, Italian professor, got an accent, gray hair, ponytail, quintessential professorial <laughs> kind of guy. Tour, he, he, he goes into one of his rooms in the lab, he comes back with a box and he says, in this box, I have timbers from Vesuvius. Vesuvius, you mean the volcano? Yeah, Vesuvius. Petrified wood from Vesuvius. And he said, these rings, because we know when Vesuvius erupted, these rings were petrified on that day, we can look at, we can look back in time by counting the rings, and we can see the rings that are fat, there was a good year, it rained a lot. The rings that were narrow, it's probably a lot of drought. And if they were really narrow for several years, the drought lasted longer. Then he said the thing that really rocked my world in this docent tour. He said that, and you probably don't know this, but it's timbers like these that we use to set the clocks in the devices we use to establish radiocarbon dating. It's like, well, wait a second. We're using something organic, timbers from Vesuvius and places like that to then say, okay, let's set the dial in the radiocarbon dating thing. So when they go to Chauvet, France to look at the cave paintings on the wall and want to know how old they are, it's, it's a tree in the rings that they use to dial the clock in. Saying all that to say that these trees are not different than the rings that are in 
ourselves from the time that you're born until the time that you are in this moment now. Yep. If you listen to your own narrative, back to storytelling, if you listen to your own narrative and you take the time to try to reconstruct your own life story, um, I've got an origin story that goes back to when I was four years old. It's the story of where my, my first, first record of my superpower, which is curiosity. That's my superpower. I'm curious. That's why I, I do the research to ask the right question. And it goes back to four years old, and then I built that up. I've got the story about my grandmother, which makes me more, she was a gardener. She could take, you know, the old bone and turn it into a marvelous soup. Everything about her was organic. And to this day, nice. I'm more organic than I am processed food, right? Just because of her. The lessons I've learned throughout time are represented in kind of like my, my personal tree ring because I've listened to myself. Right. I've, I've deconstructed those narratives and I've, I've embraced them. Those are the stories that I stand upon to make me the person that I am today. Nice. When you take those narratives and you take the experience and you get the strength that you draw from knowing that much about yourself, it's almost like I, I enjoy archery. I go to Cheviot Hills up in, uh, in this, when the 1984 Olympics were in LA they built archery ranges. And so I would go shoot my bow. <laughs> and so I think about arrows and quivers, right? Each of my stories is like an arrow in my quiver. And we all have the same opportunity to understand our rings, our narrative, to deconstruct them and put each one of them in our quiver and say that, you know, I'm an, S, I'm, an S, I'm, a, I'm an SDR, I'm a BDR. And I, this is my role. This is the kind of technology I sell. I've got 25 arrows in my quiver today. I'll probably get more because I'm still deconstructing the things that I don't remember, but I know they're important. I'll get more. <laughs> These five things in my quiver are what I'll use to be excellent at the job of BDR. And if I'm not a BDR today and I want to be one, those five arrows are what I'll use when I interview and I'll tell people about those arrows. I learned this then and I learned that. Tell the stories about the power in those arrows that empower you to be great at that role. Understanding your own narrative, packaging each one of those stories, thinking of the arrows, think about what you want to accomplish that you haven't, and then assess those arrows and say, those arrows are pretty powerful those stories of mine, the strengths that I have, the time I fell on my face, the lesson I learned. I can use those to accomplish things that I didn't know I could. But we first have to, to, to gather them, right? So story listening, when we do that for ourselves, we become stronger when we approach other people. But when we approach other people and we try to understand their narrative, we know that they're complex, just like we are. And, and where emotional intelligence is helping us think about the small data. The small data is, well, Jackson's got uh, a snake plant and he's got some look like a small bamboo plant over there. He's got a whiteboard too, so he's probably pretty detailed. And I see that the small data tells us that each, each one of those things represents a story. And, ah. and when we understand how to 
to, to use the power in ours. We're better at understanding the power in yours. My goodness. Uh, <laughs> that was amazing. And this is just the beginning. All right. First things first, I have to tell you something. You look really good for the person uh, that been, you know, started in the 80s. <laughs> you can pass for 30. I thought you were 30. I'm just going to put that there. A good thing. That's a good thing. Oh, I, this beard is not really mine. I just put this on in the morning to give myself some more maturity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I'm a huge believer in storytelling too. Um, I picked it up during my time in retail when I was working selling wireless stuff. One of my managers, shout out to you, Vuden, taught me the power of story. And only if you, you mentioned it, you guys, it's got to be relevant, got to be short but you, there's got to be a lesson learned there. Um, and you know, I found out to be really effective. Uh, my question for you is how, how did you get into storytelling and when did you pull the trigger and says, this is who I am. This is my specialization. I want to help others become the best at the best when it comes to storytelling. What's your story when it comes to that? Um, with the, I'm the art of standing out today. Yeah, I thought it was clever to have my name and my business name, the art of um, <laughs> prior, prior because I knew a guy in Australia that had a, a small, small company. I bought a product from once and his name was his name was Arthur, like me. And he called this company Arts PDF. I bought a PDF something from him. And I was like, damn, that's cool. I want that one day. Well, my first incarnation was the art of inbound marketing it was a HubSpot agency. Right. The art of inbound marketing. Yeah. Um, what was interesting about that was that I would go, you know, doing my HubSpot thing and I'd go some guys spending $3,000 a month with somebody who's doing SEO for them. I said, okay, let me see what you've got. And they would give me, um, say, well, I get this report every month. So, okay. And, and I pay $3,000 for it. And I say, well, uh, how's that, is that meeting your goals? Well, the report's really great. It tells me a lot. I mean, but are you moving the needle? And I get this report. It says I'm moving the needle. The business owners, didn't, they were paying, you know, $36,000 a year for reports, but they weren't moving the needle. People were basically stealing from them, right? No, oh, man. But, and so, and what that told me was that if I got their business, I could do the same thing. I would do better. I'd move the needle. But unless they had a plan, they would never really know how to measure what I did. They wouldn't be a good referral for me because they wouldn't be able to say, well, more than art's a great guy. I, I really wanted people to be able to say, art did this, he did this, he did this to help me meet my goals because my plan was, so I got into business planning um, to go along with the agency work that I was doing. And I discovered very quickly that most people didn't want to have a business plan. If they, if they tried to make a business plan, they didn't have the answers for the plan. So I got into brand strategy. Who's your ideal customer? Let's do an empathy map and talk about, you know, your ICP. And people were like, do I really have to do that? Oh, come on, man. Yes, you have to do that. <laughs> so I'm getting these, these revelations are going on, right? I'm, I, I'm an agency that wants to be measured on the quality of the work that I do so I can get great referrals that I can go, you know, but I'm moving up the food chain. 
I'm doing business planning. I had to get into brand strategy and I said, well, you don't have the answers for, and brand strategy is not helping me. Maybe the storytelling thing will help. And when I dove into storytelling, I figured that if, if I could get them to think of the narrative of the person that they were calling their ideal customer, you know, it's a woman, she makes this much money and think of it kind of like turn it into a fun game of some kind. That's how it started. But I realized that for me, it was a way for me to articulate something that was a tool that they could use to complete the plan that they needed to measure the work that I did. But in the process of introducing that tool to the conversation, I became fascinated. I think maybe the, one of the first things I learned was Joseph Campbell and the hero has a thousand faces is a book that's down here somewhere. And it's a book that says that as an academic, he studied stories from all over the world, from all throughout time, from Gilgamesh to Star Wars. And he discovered that the story arc is the same in Gilgamesh, one of the oldest stories known to humankind, and Star Wars, George Lucas. It's the hero is in a troubled world and um, there's a quest, but he's not sure how to go on that quest and be successful, and a mentor appears all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> and the mentor says, well, here's the force. Use the force and you can overcome the challenge and you'll be successful. The hero works with the force, but then rejects the force, like that scene in Star Wars where uh, Luke flies his X-wing fighter into a swamp. Yeah. And, and uh, Yoda is trying to show him how to just use the force and lift it out of the swamp. And Luke tries and he tries and phew, he can't do it and he runs off into the forest to sulk. And Yoda, little Yoda's got to pick it up, picks it up and moves it and drops it. Luke says, how did you do that? He said, there's no try, only do, believe in the force. That's when Luke was convinced that the force was going to help him. He uses it, eventually he's going to the Death Star, he shoots the rocket, Death Star blows up, the world has changed at the end of the cycle. That's the, the hero's journey. The story that we have with our customers is not different. It doesn't have to be different. If you were my customer and it was some cloud-based something that was gonna make you a better podcaster that I had, it's not that the product is wonderful and I'm selling the value of the product, it's how I can make you the hero by using that product. And you become the Luke Skywalker in your own story and I become the mentor that helps you accomplish that heroism. When we use story that way, um, it becomes very powerful. So my, my story arc goes from needing a tool to help people do better planning. Story became it. Joseph Campbell was my introduction. From that, the research proved that people knew anecdotally 2,500 years ago, Plato said, those who tell the stories rule society. 2,500 years ago. He knew that through emotional intelligence by standing on the, the steps of the Parthenon, wherever the hell he was, or orating, right? Talking to the, the masses. He knew that those that did the talking to the masses in that way ruled. If you could tell a great story, you could call people to action. You can make them follow, or you can keep them from going crazy, or whatever the case was. The Hopi Indian in North America said the exact same thing just a few hundred years ago. Oh, wow. Through, through observation. 
Then you fast forward to a decade ago, a guy, Paul Zach, who was at Carnegie Mellon, ended up in Southern California at um, Claremont, Claremont McKenna, out in Monrovia, wherever it's at. Claremont, great, great campus, PhD. He's studying neuroeconomics. For a long time, it was just neuroscience. Then it became neuroaesthetics, the study of art and the brain. This was a study of what makes people buy things. Paul Zach, the PhD, said, I'm going to study people and what makes people buy things. I'm going to use story as my first test. He paid people money, put them in the room, drew blood from them, and then told them the story about a boy named Ben. And the boy named Ben is a, a young child, and it's only Ben and the father in this story. And um, the father is pushing Ben in the swing. And Ben is laughing and happy little four-year-old. And the father's kind of sad, and you really can't tell why. But as the father pushes Ben, and Ben laughs and giggles and having a blast, it's almost as if the father knows something that Ben doesn't know. And what the father knows is that Ben is dying. Oh, my God. After that story, they draw blood a second time. And what Paul Zach discovered to simply telling that story, the, the effect of that story produced oxytocin, that ben, uh, Paul Zach called it the moral molecule. Oxytocin is empathy. It's the, the story makes us feel empathy toward the father and the, the, the child, Ben. But what he wrote in his thesis was that if, this, if, if what the story did is true, produced the oxytocin, and the blood test proved that oxytocin was there after the story was heard, not before, then story can change the biology in humans. If story can change the biology in humans, why aren't we all using story to call people to action? <laughs> he, Jax, Jax, here's the, here's the coup de grace. He took story and did this test a second time. Another 30 people came in drew blood, told him the story, drew blood a second time. He was paying the first group. This is the second group. He paid them again. But this time he placed at the door where people had to go to leave someone with a clipboard that was collecting for a nonprofit. So before you go, um, if you'd like to donate to this nonprofit for children with cancer or whatever the malady was, you can do it here. Paul Zach could predict based on how much oxytocin they had elicited in each of those people, who would donate and who wouldn't. He's a neuroeconomist, right? His study was to determine who was gonna, what makes people buy. The bottom line is that this, story called those people to action, produced oxytocin, changed their biology. His thesis was, I could predict who's gonna donate because empathy is in their bloodstream now. They feel more empathetic. The person that felt more empathetic, he predicted, would give some of the money they just got paid on the way out the door. And he was right, they did. As salespeople, if we're not using story and, and doing it well and learning how to use it as a call to action, um, shame on us. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, yes, storytelling. That, that's amazing.
you know, just because they have the oxytocin in there, they're more willing to buy. And you're absolutely right. You know, I think Simon Sinek talk a lot about this too, about oxytocin, that love chemicals makes you feel safe. Um, it's the same when the, a mother gives birth to a child and they have that skin-to-skin touch and their body just releases oxytocin. Um, so my, my question to you, all right, for, I know for SDR and BDR here, when you're on a call, I truly believe the only time you can really use stories is really to overcome the objections because they don't go too much in deep dive discovery. But the AEs do, you know, during a sales cycle. When, when would it be appropriate to use storytelling and when would it be inappropriate to use it? Remember that, that story I told about the, the really savvy uh, woman VP that knew more about sales than I as a junior salesperson did. And she didn't want to be sold using the savvy tactics that I was using. She sniffed it out. She said, without saying it, she signaled to me, look, kid, <laughs> I know sales, the process, and you're selling me. And that's not what I invited you in here to do. I wanted information. So we have to be wary of, of using all the gimmicks that we can, all the tools that are available to us. Um, and I used it as a advance, an approach. It would have been better if she had asked me in the conversation, the question, and then that tactic may have been appropriate. But I was leading with it. I was pushing it toward her. And I think when we push stories, um, it's challenging when a story is a response to a question. If I'm the, the SDR and, and I'm on the phone and, and somebody flippantly says, look, I know the game. Why should I even talk to you? They've given me permission to tell them why. Right. I mean, I'm interested in your product, but do I have to, I mean, just get me to the AE and I'm still, my role is to qualify. Right. But then I can tell them the story about why I'm badass at my job. And, you know, it was in high school. I ran cross country. I would run six miles a day and I was committed to accept the responsibility to be the best that I could be. And I used the same commitment to this job and, and my commitment to you Mr. Customer, is to assure that I get the information that, that you have um, to match it up with the products that we offer to make sure we really have a basis for doing business with the same level of commitment that I used to run those six-mile mornings before the sun came up. If that doesn't do it, shame on them. I mean, they wanted, they were trying to push you away, but you pulled an arrow out of your quiver that was the one that you knew that represented your commitment to accept the responsibility to be the best that you could be, no matter what you did. You told them that story. A, a reasonable person would say, well, I've never run six miles at any time. Um, that's pretty badass. And you tied that you're not just running, you, you tied it to commitment to accept the responsibility to be a leader on that team. You're, you're going to go places. Maybe I should listen to you. <laughs> so in response to a question, I mean, I wish I had a quiver here, right? And some arrows in it, because it, it's the metaphor is when you 
interrogate your own story and, and you know where your strengths and your lessons come from. Um, the, the good ones and the bad ones, um, you, you store them in that quiver and given the opportunity, they're there at the ready for you to use them. And um, it's, it's, it's often when it's a response to a question or a challenge that they work the best. Gotcha. Totally agree. You know, this reminds me um, of a situation that I ran into a while back. I was interviewing for a few opportunities and I always use, I always ended it with a storytelling, uh, telling a story. I'm not sure if you heard the story of uh, the two, the two stone layers, they were building a cathedral. It's a, it's a classic from Simon Sinek that I picked up too as well. It's uh, pretty much about knowing your why. And that tactic that I used landed me a few offers, but there was one that I used to a specific company and the CEO literally just shot me straight down and say, stop trying to sell me, get to the point. And that right there was a huge shock that I never experienced before. Um, so what you're telling me, like, based on what you just said, would that type of situation be like a key indicator that maybe this is not the right person I should be working for? Or is there var other variables? It's, I mean, corporate culture means a lot, right? And, and we have a choice to make. It's we can do it for the money and we can do it because we're trying to uh, make a difference and make meaning. And if they're not about making meaning, then we're going to the wrong place. Yeah. Um, here, here, here's, here's a, I mean, to your point about that, the use of storytelling and, and my theory that there's four kinds of story for me. Story listening is the biggest bucket. Do it well, listen to your own narrative so you can be good at listening to other people's narratives. It's kind of, it's kind of the, you know, learn how to drive your own car before you ask the key for the keys to my Corvette, right? Because <laughs> if, if, if I don't see you as a good driver, I'm not gonna give you my keys. And, and by the same token, learning how to, to interrogate your own narrative gives you the experience to know what to look for, what to listen for, what questions to ask, understand their narrative. And when you, when you know their narrative, you get closer to understanding their explicit needs, what they celebrate, what keeps them up at 2 a.m. And when you, and if you only know their implied need, nobody ever buys anything because you found their implied need. They just don't. <laughs> but but here, here, here's the thing, it's, it's the idea that when we, when we think of story and we, we think of, I'm trying to, to, how do I articulate this? It's the. Take your time. It's the idea that when we have, I, I had an idea that I thought was a really brilliant idea and it, it's, I, I really can't figure out how to, how to articulate. Let's move on to the next question. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Um, so quick question. There's an SDR and BDR today. Fairly new. Just got hired. They know for a fact later down the road, they want to be an account executive. Nurture deals, do demos. Maybe you tell them a little story on the side. What can they do today to find their own narrative? What are a few good best practices? 
Well, I, I, I think the, the analogy is to think of, of your, your repository of stories that you're trying to harness, like that big slab from the Redwoods here at the University of Arizona. The, the, the fat rings where there was a, a lot of success, a lot of rainfall, it's a very broad ring. Put a pin in it and, and interrogate it so you can remember what that year was like for you, that moment in time. The really narrow ones, there might be three really narrow ones where things weren't so great and you were unhappy because it was, you kept stubbing your toe. There's wisdom in those three rings in your life experience that you can show hum humility and how you turn failure into opportunity, how you learn from the, you took that lesson um, and you learn from it. So as I call it, you know where the alligators are in the swamp. So you, you don't do that again, right? Yeah. Um, and, and when you know where the alligators are in the swamp, you can use those moments. I mean, there are deals that, that I've lost that the time with that woman, I used that tactic on her and she basically, you know, kind of just stuffed me, stiff armed me out, the, out of her office almost, right? Because it, it wasn't a literal stiff arm, but she was saying, you're not ready yet. You, you, it's this the big leagues kid. You know, wow. you, you, you tried it and I might let you back in, but not today. Wow. That lesson, I'm more patient when I approach, I research deeper before I, I'm listening more than I'm speaking. I can speak a mile a minute, I can go. And I used to think in the early years that selling was all about dominating the conversation. Now, if I can ask one question and they talk for 10 minutes, and in the course of 30 minutes, I ask two or three questions and that's all I get to ask. They spoke for 27 minutes and answering the questions, the things that I needed to know. Um, that, that's really important. The, so, so I encourage everyone to, to think of story listening as the starting point. And listen to yourself first. Think about, think about your successes and your wins. Think about whose shoulders. Think, here, let me say it this way. It's probably a more succinct way of saying it. Storytelling will help you nurture your integrity, your character. Whose shoulders do you stand on? Remember, look over your shoulder and say, mom, dad, uncle, aunt, grandmother, next door, neighbor, college roommate, coach, Cub Scout, Girl Scout, man, I don't know. There's a lot of opportunities for lessons that have been learned. A yeah. book, something that you learned and you taught yourself in the journal, just journaling stuff when you did when you were 13. Take those things and chronicle them, hold them dear, because that is who you are. That's where your character springs from. And, and I think understanding those stories, you stand on the shoulders of the people that got you here because they, they help you nurture your own character, help you to present with integrity. And that's the first rung of being a leader, integrity and character. The next one is emotional intelligence. When you know yourself, well, you, that's emotional intelligence. You've done phase one of emotional intelligence. You can't know yourself without knowing your story, right? And, and the, the, not just all the pretty ruffles and flourishes, but the bad stuff where the lessons are learned. That's number two. 
Integrity and character number one, EQ, emotional intelligence and empathy comes from knowing your story. And number three, if, you, if you've nurtured your EQ because you, you, you really are in touch with your own narrative, then you're getting better at being sensitive to somebody else's narrative and willing to listen and seek to understand their position. And when you, when you do that, when you, when you speak, you're inserting your story directly into theirs. Because if I know your narrative and I've got 25 hours in my quiver and you say, all right, well, you know, I, I'm not sure what I'm gonna tell the VP. You know, I'm the recommender here. And, and you're saying you need to get to the influencer what do I, what, how, what do you want me to do, man? So let, let me get this arrow out. I got a story <laughs> to tell you. Because I'm going to tell you the story of a, of a client that we helped last year, just like you, right? Not a competitor necessarily, but somebody with the same challenges and same opportunities, um, same process, same solutions going to be deployed. And I tell you, I tell you the honest truth that, you know, Here's the lessons we learned along the way. They're happy now. I'll be happy to give you the number, but there's some alligators in that swamp that we learned that we will, that was a year ago. We've done and repeated that and got better at it. And now we're here. We're going to make you a hero in your story here. When you go to the influencer, when I tell that story, stories are several things. They're memorable, they're relatable, and they're repeatable. I could say, well, just take this proposal and give it to your influencer. You want me to give this to the influencer? Yeah, yeah, just, I've created this. It's got the gap analysis. It's got charts and graphs in here. Just give this to her. And she says, sure, okay, I'll give that to her. So you have a choice. I can give you the report or I can tell you the story of what's in the report. Nice. The report. The report, somebody's, you're going to read it to the influencer or you're going to hand it to them and leave it to them to figure it out. If I tell you the story, what this really means, and I make it relatable because I give you a customer that is kind of like you, that's part of that narrative, then the influencer, the, the recommender goes to the influencer to say, you know, I've been working with this guy, Jax, and, and he's really smart and really represents a really one of the companies that I think we should take a harder look at. And the influencer says, oh, why? Well, you know, just yesterday he was here and he told me the story um, and it goes like this. Your story, the same way we know Mary had a little lamb in Aesop's fables, they're memorable because stories, that's how humans are wired. Humans are wired for story. We think, we dream, we problem solve in story, right? I had an accident today. Let me tell you the story, right? That's how we are. So when you tell the story to your recommender, he goes to the influencer, the influencer says, well, why Jax? Well, let me tell you the story. That's what each of us has the opportunity to do. You have the analog report. Maybe it's got pictures and graphs in here, but you are asking me to figure it out. The story can accompany this because we still make decisions with the, the intellect, but the story hits you in the heart and the gut. And the story is, is what your recommender can emote. They say it out loud and the influence is looking at, 
like, damn, I guess you've worked with this Jacks pretty well because you told that story like as if you were almost him. You must really <laughs> believe in technology. Yeah, I do, and, and I do. I really think it's a good one. Woo! Yes, yes, yes. People tell story sales. Horrible, <laughs> relatable, repeatable. And all of a sudden, now this guy who's just an influencer, he's now become a champion. Not just a yeah. champion. Once it works and they implement it and they solve X, Y, Z, he's a champion. My goodness. Your own story. You, you made him a hero. But here, here's the other thing, Jackson. It's, if, if it was that easy, everybody would do it. And, and the, the four-story breakdown Story listening is what we do to understand their narrative so we know when and how to convey our value through story to them. Story building is the other part of it. And it's like, if, if I've done my ICP well, if I know my ideal customer profile and I've nailed it, I don't waver from it, right? That's my customer. And, and I've got a couple of VIP customers that I, I know I can talk to. I say, look, um, we've got a new product and I think it's great. And here's, here's the story I think that goes around the value proposition that we offer because of this new product. Can I share it with you and tell me if it resonates with you? You're building stories, you're collaborating with your insider customers to help you co-create a story that's gonna resonate with them because they are just like all the prospects in the world that meet the same ICP standard. When you, you, you think you know implicitly what's gonna resonate with them until you collaborate with them to let them say, well, Art, sounds like a great product. And the way you told that story, that's really cool. But I think I heard you say that it does some things, but you didn't say it does those things. Does it do those things? So yeah, it does those things. You mean if I, you didn't hear that, maybe I could tell the story more articulately about that other feature. If I did that, would it be a better story? And I say, yeah, that nails it. Nice. You go from your VIP, now you get that arrow in your quiver and one day Mr. Customer or Miss Customer says, well, you know, we're looking at company A and company B. Um, we, we think we've got a third lined up. Why should we, I'm not sure we have time to talk to you. Well, here's why. And, and let me tell you the story of this new technology that we really want to want you to take a look at. You have a higher propensity for that story to work because you co-created it with a customer that's just like her. Yes. So when we talk about resonance, um, if your ICP is built and it's ironclad, then the person you collaborated with is just like the person you're that's challenging you, why you? You got a story that's gonna work. So it's story listening, story building, it's collaboration. Storytelling is all the marketing and standing at the podium and all the other stuff you get to do on the phone. That's the storytelling. Story selling is when you're in front of the customer and, and you have that, that moment where the, they've got the pen in their hand and it's, they're, they're, they're writing the note to the economic buyer that is going to sign the check and they're they're hesitating they're like 
that's when story selling comes in and, and you really reinforce the fact that they're going to become the hero in the narrative. And everybody, all the other 14 people in the decision tree have their own wins. And you can tell the story of each of their win if, they, if you need to, to give that one person that's the resisting a little bit, the confidence that, well, if they're in it and the way you articulate it, I guess you understand that they are, then I'm in too. My goodness. So it's listening, building, telling, and selling. It's the four flavors of story. Listening is the biggest piece of it. Um, do it to yourself first so you become good at listening. You listen to your own signals, <clears throat> to your own sentiment and intent, and uh, load your quiver up with all that power, and then listen to your customer, and, and then what comes out of that quiver, you insert it directly into their narrative, and like magic, they go, man, I don't know how you did that, but that story you just told is like music to my ears. When I tell that to the influencer and the economic buyer, they're really going to dig it. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> Story listening, story building, story telling, and then story selling. Wow. Yeah, you can buy here next year in the first quarter. <laughs> yeah. And I would imagine if you do it correctly, like you mentioned, it's memorable, right? They can't, oh, hey, you remember that guy, Art Jones? Author? Oh, yeah, that's the guy that uh, did one, two, and three. And they bring up the story yeah. rather than, hey, uh, yeah. it's just another salesman, just another number. <laughs> My goodness. It's, it's magical, Jax. It really is magical, man. And I think, it, it's, I think the thing for me to go back 20 minutes ago when you asked the question, why story? It, it's when I really came to the realization, not just that Plato said it, the Hopi Indians said it. It's the science now that, that, that we, Plato, Plato knew anecdotally the truth about story. Science, you throw somebody in an MRI, you tell them a story and the brain lights up as if they were actually in the story themselves. Ah, yes. Um. That's what relatable is like, right? That's what relatable means. And, and the biology of story is that when you draw blood and you tell them a scary story, cortisol's in the bloodstream, you change the biology in that human, right? When you tell them a story that's really empathetic, you change the biology in that human. Those, that's, it's anecdotal information from the Hopi and from Plato. It's fact-based science that says, story just works, man. It, if, and, and it's not, it, I'll just say this, and, and I know I, I get resistance when I say this because people really believe that the stories on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and all that are, are really stories. There's snippets of stories, right? Stories have to be, stories work best when you know your audience and you know who you're telling the story to. The story that's gonna work with you might be different than the story that's gonna work with another person doing the same job. And that's where EQ comes in. And if the audience is a, an array of types of people, then you've got to find that middle of the road story that you're going to get the preponderance of the people in the audience. You know, you won't get them all, but you want them to lean in to find your story so highly relatable that you're hitting them in the gut and heart at the same time. And it's, it's like this. And we have the ability to do that. Yeah. Um, and then you give them 
proposal that allows them to, to validate the intellectual part of it. To say, that story really rocked my world, but this proposal um, has the numbers, it's clear. Why wouldn't we do this? <laughs> All right, I, I'll say something. Um, you know, uh, about the part where the brain doesn't know the difference. It's funny that you mentioned that because recently I learned from Jim Quick too. He's a, a brain master. I'm not sure you're familiar with him, Jim Quick, the Asian guy, he's the brain guy. Uh, one of his motivational speeches he talks about is he gave an example about um, the brain not knowing the difference and what that means is if someone loves dogs, if you see a dog, your brain would light up. But what happens is that if they imagine, they close their eyes and imagine a dog pops up, the brain also lights up, which means the brain can't tell the difference if it's actually there or not. But the, the, the ability that you're able to see is the fact that it will still light up. And, you know, it's funny. Um, at my T-Mobile days, too, I was one of the best at selling accessories. And the way I was able to do that is through storytelling. And one of it would always be like, I would always look at them, you know, what they look like. Oh, hey, you're like 17, 18, you're Hispanic, you're young, you like to hang out. And I always tell them, imagine this, you're walking to a friend with you, right? You have the speaker with you. You go to a party, you bring this with you, turn it on, now you're the party. And they would be like, whoa, wow, wow. And that would just close it all the way. So <laughs> a little bit different from uh, the listing, building, no, selling, and selling. But, you know, I always paint pictures in their brain, faces. I, I think that, that, that that's a great story, Jackson. I think it, it is, it's, you know, the, we have to provide an experience to get the attention of anybody for anything now. Um, and, and we have so much technology that, you know, we can, we have to provide an experience and, and the primordial experience that works best has worked since the, it's oldest dirt, right? <laughs> is story, right? I mean, if, if, I mean, in the technology stack, there's 7,000 choices to build your stack. Um, if you don't add story to that tech snack, you're, 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 you're leaving this, the, the tool that has worked the best and the longest and will work into the future um, and continue to do it well. Why? Because humans are simply wired for story. And um, all the other AI and machine learning stuff that, that we have at our disposal helps us maybe tell more compelling stories thoughtful, insightful, compelling stories. That's the data that we use to build the story. So I'm not ignoring that, but it's, and, and I don't want to over uh, emphasize story. I mean, I, I'm a customer centric data driven guy, but I know that there are occasions, you know, when the bases are loaded, <laughs> and that badass pitchers on the, the mound with the curveball, the knuckleball, and the fastball that can just back me away from the plate. I've got to be, I've got to be confident that I can stand in there and not just take cuts at it. Get, get a base hit at least to get somebody home. And, and what tool am I going to use? It's probably going to be story given the opportunity. Why? It's the <laughs> one that has worked plenty of. 
Woo! If that wasn't the price of admission, I don't know what it is. Art, <laughs> how are we doing on time so far? I know we went a little bit over, but I just have to ask you with your permission. Um, I, I've got about nine minutes. I've got a bolt at 7.30. Perfect. on time. Perfect. Okay. So last week, Crowdcast, Chris, Christopher Rolano, yeah. talking about sales and how can sales and customer success collab and work with each other. I saw you dialed in, gave, your, uh, gave some pointers, and then all of a sudden, Chris Orlando got disconnected and went a little bit blurry, and there was a little fuzziness. You know, people was looking around, huh, did he get disconnected? Not sure. What's going on? What should we do? Wait. And then you stepped in and started talking about mind mapping. Can you please tell us a little bit more about what mind mapping is and how do you use that in the sales process um, and why do you use it? Um, it I'll, I'll go 40,000 years back um, to Chauvet. I think there's caves in a place called Chauvet, France. And in those caves, it was discovered that there are paintings of prehistoric animals galloping across the plain, people chasing them, and the radiocarbon dating says they're 40,000 years old since that discovery. In Indonesia, there are other caves that have these paintings that are even older. The visual stories that were told then are the oldest incarnation of communications that we knew humans were using, visual stories. What's mind mapping? It's a visible, a visual incarnation of a process, of an idea, of a community of people. It's, it's the step that's just below a systems map. It's, I use it when I'm thinking about the book that I wanna write. And instead of writing on post-it notes and putting them on the wall or flip charts and putting them on the wall, I can do a digital incarnation of the chapters I think it should be in that book. Um, and I can look at it and I can say, wow, that's cool. You've got 12 things there, but hmm, these three are really the same. Let's combine them. Right? And because it's digital, you can just move them around. And the same thing is true when I'm looking at account management, right? And there's the, the people in the process. Here's the competitors over here. Here's the four people that I've been dealing with in the account over here. And here's the technology and maybe the, the technology from the competitors. I can see it visually in the map. And I can look at the relationships where the commonalities between the three competitive products are and where the opportunities are, then I can draw a line from where the opportunities are to the people, the four people I'm dealing with, who appreciates which of those features most. And then I can step back and say, hmm, I can see, and I'm looking for where the opportunities are. When I produce the same output and it's linear, you know, one of the people's on this page Somebody's on this page, I really can't see them at the same time. When I'm looking at the visual map of that same process flow, I can see the relationships. I can see where I need to move things closer together. I can see where I need to add another person to bridge two ideas or two things. So um, Michelangelo, the, the famous artist from the Renaissance was a mind mapper. He was an inventor, <clears throat> he was a painter, he was a writer. He used mind mapping to 
to help his ideas coalesce before he made his masterpieces. Um, if, if, if we want to make masterpieces, um, you've got a whiteboard behind you. The whiteboard is, is, is allows you to mind map. On a digital map, it's, you don't have to erase and move, you just move it. Gotcha. And, um, and, and because the mind map is digital, I can share it. And the beauty about the mind map is that if I create a map, if, if on your whiteboard, that was a map, I can hit a button in the map platform that I use. It will put the map on the first page and on the second, third, fourth, and fifth page, it would break the map down into chapter and verse. One, one dot one, one dot two, one dot three, two, two dot one. Two. So it's in a Word doc, it's in a PDF, and it looks like a dang book. So I can mind map, Jax, you and I could be collaborating. Uh, I'm the SD, you're the AE, and I'm trying to tell you where we are in the account. It's a big deal. This, this, is, this is one of those, those whales that I just happen to be the person that had it bubble up. And I want to tell you what it looks like. Instead of doing the analog in this kind of report, say, can I map it for you? And then I show you the people, I show you the processes and, and, and how I think it's going to fit. And I can show where I think you need to parachute in at what point, because these are the mm. folks that I know are in the, and, and you can look at that and you can say, hmm, it's, it's different than an org chart. It's, it's, it's a visual story is really what it is. And the nice. thing about it is that the story is dynamic because you can move the pieces on the board to, um, to optimize the things that you need done. Got it. Got it. The process. Woo. Okay. Got it. So just like what it is today, typical, normally what happens and there's a gap and there's a, uh, there's a gap between the SDR and A and it's very common to all they really do is type notes and just throw into the CRM and leave it for them. And, what I'm hearing is mind mapping is a different approach saying, Hey, Arthur, look, this is who we are work with. This is how we reached out. This is what it looks like. This is where they're at. And I think this is best how you should come in based on that along with visuals. So we can see what that looks like. And so when they, that makes a difference, they come in yeah, and say, I, Hey, that's what it is. Is that, is that what, what it is? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the, you know, it's, there's so much depth in, in it. And it's the thing about my, I use my mapping when I'm coaching it, when I'm, when I'm trying to um, excavate somebody's story, I don't, I, I just ask them, um, take me back as far as you can remember and tell me the story. Let's take it from the beginning. And as they're telling me that story, I'm mapping their story. There's they're there in the center. And then I said, okay, they started with this. Then there was that, then there was this, then there was that. And then you, when I'm on my end looking at the map, they're just talking and telling the story. I'm seeing the connections and the relationships between each discrete piece of the story, how this story relates to that, how there's a constant theme among all the stories. And it's funny that when I take that and I built this map after they've talked for 15 minutes, and I say, you know what it looks like here is that that thing you said you want to do, you've been doing it all along. I said, what do you mean? I said, and I turned the map around and I show them relationships. 
and I show them the moments in the story where they articulated the exact thing that they said that they weren't sure they should do or could do. It says there, man, it's right there for you. <laughs> you just, but the, the map is a visual representation of the conversation. Often we, I mean, for, for years, I've resisted being a coach. I said, you know, coaches are those people that they, they got laid off and they, they, they were between jobs and they decided, well, I can be a coach. And there's a lot of foo-foo out there. And I didn't want to be, I didn't want to brand myself as the foo-foo. But, but people and customers would tell me that, you know, you know, what you do is, is like coaching art. Why don't you just, just begin coaching? And I think when we think of sales, when it's, when, when it's feature function benefit, that's not coaching. That's commodity. You're selling a commodity. When you go to kind of a solution sale, it's like, tell me your problem. You're starting to coach. When you do the research to know what questions to ask and let them do all the talking and solve their own problem. I mean, here's a quick story and I'll, I'll tell this one and this kind of goes into how mapping helps. And this is, I'm, I'm living in Orange County. I'm uh, working for a company in San Diego and my customer is a healthcare organization in Las Vegas. And I have, I have Hawaii, Las Vegas and really cool territory, right? Yeah. So I fly into Vegas and I go through the airport, you know, the cash, the slot machines are ringing, the lights are flashing. I'm like, man, this is like a holiday, but I'm going to work. And then I would go to this healthcare company and they would usher me into a room full of whiteboards and it was technology. And I would ask them, so tell me about your infrastructure. I'm drawing on the whiteboards. After that meeting, uh, we've done fairly well. And I said, well, we'd love to come back. Let us know when we can come back and continue the conversation because I think we have um, some things that, that we can help with. Weeks go by, they invite us back, they usher us into the building and uh, they take us to the same conference room and my picture's on the wall. I'm like, whoa. So we're gonna use the same room and you didn't erase that. Cool, we'll just pick it up from here. So tell me about, and so when this happens, how's that affect, okay. You know, if we over here, it's a really great meeting I and mean, we're making great progress. This went on for like 90 days. Each time we went into the room, the visual story that we've been telling, them telling me and me being the stenographer pretty much, putting it on the whiteboard, I'm inserting my solution in there, right? But I'm never talking about it. It's just the process flow. Almost 90 days later, now we have a meeting and the economic buyers in the room, I'm still doing my thing on the whiteboard over here now. And he says, all right, listen, this has been really been amazing. My people tell me that, you know, you really know what we do. And it's, you, you, you get it every time you come, you, you, you dive deeper. We're convinced that, you know, um, but you haven't told us what we're buying yet. And I'm like, okay, this is when the sales rep's supposed to stop talking because the economic buyer says you haven't told us what we're buying yet. He didn't ask me to tell him what he was buying. Whatever we were selling, he was buying it because he was convinced that we knew his problem so well that the solution was baked into this whiteboard drama that I put on the wall. And he just wanted it now because it made the story we had told was that things got better when the picture looks like this. Storytelling at work. And, and you could see over the course of the meetings, the economic buyer wasn't in those meetings early, but the, the story of the graphical representation 
of our knowledge, because it wasn't just me. I had a systems analyst and it was a whole team of people that we would show up. But they believed in us. They believed that we knew what they needed to know about how to resolve the problem, to improve the process, so they could accomplish more. And it's story time. It was we told them what we needed to tell them. We, we showed them on the wall what, what to validate that we could articulate it visually for them. Um, and it was a unique kind of storytelling, but it was the best, one of the best sales that I ever made because it was the one that I didn't have to sell it. They sold themselves and it was done. And it was, it was when I realized then that selling was less about selling and more about just being a, a, a coach and, and not even being a coach is about being a leader because my integrity and the character of the people I was with, my ability to really effectively listen so I could draw this picture on the wall and, and the ability to communicate with that visual and the stories that we told about the process and how it was being improved. Those are the three things that leaders do. They have character and integrity. They have highly nurtured EQ and they communicate top level. That's why I won that deal. And it, it wasn't me winning as much as them handing it to me saying, okay, take our money. We're convinced. <laughs> and I, that's how I really got into coaching because as we move up the food chain and we change the, the, the when it's more about establishing alignment and harmony with the customer that you serve, that's a more akin to coaching than it is to selling. Um, because you're a servant leader at that point. You're, you're in there to make meaning, not to make money. Because you know if you make meaning, you're going to make money. Oh, my God, Arthur. That was amazing. If that wasn't the price of admission, I don't know what is. <laughs> you know, you came in there for the first part for the, throughout the whole 90 days. You never told them what you do or so. You're listening. You're drawing on a board. Hey, you know, it's great chatting today, Arthur. That's what we got on the board. I'd like to come back around next time, um, you know, when it's best for you guys. And you come walk back in that room, that same room, same whiteboard, probably even using the same uh, marker that you're using. And you picked up where you left off. It was still there. That's a big hint. And what's even crazier is that all of a sudden, like, oh, by the way, don't mind if the economic barge sign comes on in. The guy who signs it on the dollar line. <laughs> oh my goodness, that was amazing. After, are you familiar with anyone um, a motivational speaker named Dr. Miles Monroe? I don't. I'll write the name down now. Okay. Uh, reason I bring it up is because uh, he talks about uh, leaders. He said about having character, and what you just mentioned. He said, if you're a leader, you, you leaders must have character. And that's quote unquote from Dr. Marmoreau. That's why I brought that up. But the, I just really love the way you approach stories, the way you think about it. Mind mapping. I just want to say something real quick too. That just gave me an aha moment. Um, and it's just short. It's actually recent too, about two, three months ago. So I, I, I do this thing. I, well, every Sunday or so I'll go to the parks, Miles Square Park, 
Uh, it's a square, each line's a mile, so it's four miles total. And I would come out through my little piece of pencil, a pen, and I just have my white space, sit there with the ducks and look at the lakes, whatever. But as a top funnel sales dev strategist, I'm always constantly thinking, what can we do different? And just to break it down a little bit, during our approaches, when people want to reach out, like the SDR and BDRs, they go, okay, uh, you know, how, how are you reaching out? Oh, well, email, phone call, video, social. But after writing it down, quote unquote, mind mapping, I noticed and realized that even when you're sending a video, you are doing it through LinkedIn or email, which doesn't consider it its own channel, but people talk like it does. But because I did that, I uh, realized that too. So thank you for that. That was amazing. Your story was amazing, Art. Thank you so much. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Um, so as I know as we're wrapping things up, oh, yeah, that's right. No worries. <laughs> I think you're on mute, but we'll take care of that. I, I wanted to say that, that I enjoy being on your show because your questions are, are thoughtful and insightful and you, you, uh, you give me room to just to ruminate on the, the questions that you ask. And uh, I love talking about, about story and, and uh, we never even got the human-centered design thinking, which is, which is part of the, the, the mind mapping and storytelling process, but. Um, <laughs> no worries. That's set for another day. I took up your time more than enough, but uh, without further ado, Art, I'd love to just wrap this up with you here, you know, um, if you have any special thanks you'd like to give anyone, if there's anything we missed you'd like to share. And if anyone want to reach out to you, just say thank you for what you gave us today. Um, please feel free to take it away. Well, you find me on LinkedIn at, at Art Jones one I think that's uh, where I'm at. Art Jones in Tucson will do it as well. And connect with me there. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm spending a little bit more time being a little more content creation focused. So I'm putting more out there and I do have a, a book. It's on um, sales and leadership, uh, much of kind of some of the themes that we talked about today. And that is the first quarter of next year that's coming out. So on Twitter, it's at Art Jones. On, on LinkedIn, it's Art Jones one, the number one. And, um, and it's, it's uh, the, the, the domain name is itsyourstorylab.com. It's your story lab.com. There it is. Yep. And yep. ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Art Jones, the one and only chief story architect over that art of standing out LLC for those who needs help with story and storytelling, please reach out to my man, Mr. Art Jones one on LinkedIn. Art, thank you again for hopping on the one up sales development podcast. We truly appreciate you. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, Jax. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Great show.